0: To another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin, running solo with you today because I have a very special guest that I wanted to speak to individually, and that's Connor Klingin, the voice of the Winston-Salem Dash. You can follow him on Twitter at CKlingin14. Connor, it is such a pleasure to talk to you, despite not having baseball here on the horizon. I have so many questions for you as the voice of the Dash. How are you, and how are you able to... Get yourself through these unprecedented times right now.
1: Well, first off, Mike, thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, I, I'm doing all right. Uh, I, I think everyone's uh, kind of in a tough spot in any industry and everywhere right now. Um, certainly, it's tough to be without baseball. And I was really excited for this season. It would have been my first season as the, the voice of the Dash, uh, so to speak. Uh, after last year, I was the assistant for Joe Weil. Um, so I was excited about that and unfortunately uh, it's going to have to wait. Um, I think it was March 11th, March 12th, that kind of weird two days where the NBA got suspended and then all of a sudden you realize, okay, this is definitely going to have an effect on minor league baseball and obviously major league baseball as well. So it's it's been a Weird couple of months, but, uh, you know, just like everybody, just doing what I can to get through it, Um, you know, still going back and listening to old games last year, trying to get better any way that I can, uh, researching players in the White Sox system, uh, just really trying to find uh, ways to pass the time.
0: Yeah, we wish you, obviously, we wish you all the best, and and we're thinking about all the people working in minor league baseball, the game day crews uh, at every level, as well as in the independent scene. I mean, those are the teams that are really taking a hit throughout all this. So we're, we're hoping that, obviously, eventually we can get back to baseball. That's where all the revenue is gained. But when I, when I wanted to talk to you today, Connors, there's so many questions that I had related to the Winston-Salem Dash. You mentioned it. Worked with Joe Weil last year, who was the voice of the Dash for four seasons. Now you're coming in and you were looking forward to a 2020 season that saw the Dash last year promote a hefty amount of players that you were able to cover in 2019. So I wanted to specifically go over some some names that I figure were pretty intriguing, ones that you can give our listeners and our readers a little bit of insight on. And also, though, before that, I'd love to get just a little bit of a picture of how you got going into your career. You're from Illinois, right? Were you a Sox fan growing up?
1: Yeah, I I actually was, Mike. Um, So I grew up in Batavia, um, about 40 minutes west of Chicago. I grew up as a huge White Sox fan. So I was, my dad and I would go to games all the time at, uh, well, first it was the new Comiskey. I never got to see the old Comiskey, Uh, then US Cellular and guaranteed rate as well. So uh, some of the, cooler games I was able to go to as a White Sox fan I was actually at game one of the ALDS against the Red Sox the 14 to 2 game Uh, I was also at uh, before my time with the Dash so this was I think it actually may have been the last White Sox game I was at before I worked in Winston-Salem I was at Michael Kopech's first start Uh, that kind of weird game against the Twins where it started raining and uh, he really hit some bad luck there with the weather. But uh, yeah, I grew up a huge White Sox fan. And so it's been uh, pretty cool to get the opportunity to work in the White Sox system.
0: Yeah, I, I figure and too Winston-Salem, the view from the booth, it's hard. It's tough to be. That's a beautiful ballpark to call, call your workplace. So a little jealous on this end. But hey, you know, it's a matter of getting to a spot where you're doing what you love. And I appreciate the grind that you're on. And obviously we're rooting for you to get baseball back because you and Joe really had something going last year. Tell me a little bit about working with Joe Weil, because he's obviously moving on from the Winston-Salem dash, but you had a lot of fun last year covering a pretty darn good Winston-Salem team.
1: Oh, we definitely did, Uh, and Joe is a great friend of mine, a great mentor to me, and Uh, really, you know, I was a White Sox fan, but he was someone that, you know, I had seen his work. Um, I had heard, you know, some of the calls that he had made and I thought, man, it'd be really great to work with this guy and and learn with this guy. And even with the high expectations I had coming in, I mean, it, it was really even better than that, just because, uh, he was someone that uh you know, obviously he wanted to improve himself and do the best for himself, but he was always really focused on, on teaching me different things about how to broadcast a baseball game, uh, or as well on the media relations side. Uh he's a fantastic writer. Um, I highly recommend everyone read the blog post that he wrote on Omar Biscell. Um, really outstanding. Uh that was actually just a couple of weeks ago. Um so he was a awesome person to work with, still someone that I'm great friends with. And uh, I was really lucky to have that experience and wasn't a surprise to me at all last year when he ended up winning Carolina League Broadcaster of the Year.
0: Let's look forward to your job now as covering the Winston-Salem Dash. Connor Klingon, the voice of the Dash, they just unveiled a new sort of logo. Can you kind of elaborate on that? What's your opinion? I think it looks pretty sharp.
1: Oh, yeah. It's a great look. Um, I think what I like about it is that it kind of combines a retro uh, with a modern touch. Uh, And if you're a White Sox fan, especially, our home cap is now a black cap with a white interlocking W and S. It almost looks like it could be an alternate White Sox hat. Uh, And that was kind of part of the deal in, in redesigning the logo is that they wanted to Incorporate Winston Salem, but also kind of give a tip of the cap to the White Sox as the parent club. Uh, So if you're a White Sox fan, I think it's uh, really great gear that you know you could be able to pick up, and that's one way to actually support the Dash right now. If you go to our team store, uh, wsdash.com, they have all the uh, shirts, hats, uh, jerseys, that kind of stuff with the new logo. And uh, you know, I know most people don't have too much extra cash right now, but if you do, uh, it's a great way to support the Dash.
0: Yeah, that's pretty sweet, the the gear that the Dash have. I love the color scheme. Uh, I'm just a fan. I'm a fan all the way around. The logo looks great. Anyway, all right, let's move forward. Let's talk about the players that you were able to cover last year, guys that you were able to to see on a day-to-day basis. And I always, I always say it's so important to be able to really get a feel of a player is to sit there and, and watch them in person, of course. That's very, very important to get a legitimate scouting aspect down. But also you have the benefit of watching them progress throughout their career albeit just for one season or maybe even a half a season because a lot of the guys that you covered were promoted to double A but one guy that you were able to see for a short period of time was Luis Robert can you just can you just share what you saw in Luis Robert
1: I saw something that I'll never see again <laughs> it is really uh, the simplest way I can put it so I he was with us for only 19 games last season Uh, and and Joe had seen him in 2018. So he kind of offered a different perspective. I I think it's been well-documented. He had the, the thumb injury and the wrist injuries in 2018. So, you know, he doesn't hit a single home run in 2018. And, you know, we get into 2019 and we're thinking, okay, well, the White Sox paid this guy $26 million. So what did they see here? And I think from game one of 2019, we realized uh, how special he was. Um, You know, it got to the point by the end of that run, uh, Justin Jershley, who's a fantastic manager, he's now going to be the manager of the Birmingham Barons. uh, He was calling him basically a created player in a video game by the end of that 19 game run because he was just every night he was doing something special. And I think maybe even more so than the monster home runs, what was impressive was the speed that he had. Uh, He hit multiple triples to left field at our ballpark. That's not an easy thing to do at BB&T Ballpark. It's a pretty short porch out there in left field. Um, but he had the speed where he just, I mean, he just galloped around the bases, and uh, he was there in a flash.
0: Yeah, looking at his numbers just quickly in 19 games, I love to revisit Luis Roberts' numbers um, in 2019. It was just, it was crazy. A one 4 OPS, batted four eight homers, 5 doubles, 3 triples. I mean, come on. 8 stolen bases in 19 games. That that's insane. And of course, you know, he was worthy of a promotion and eventually got all the way up to AAA last season. And we'll I, I love talking about these main prospects. And we'll get to the others because there's so many fascinating names that you were able to cover last season at the advanced day level here in the Carolina League, but you were able to see Andrew Vaughn, a guy like him who was drafted in his first professional season last year, started very briefly in the Arizona league, moved up to Kannapolis after three games, had success there, and then finished his first professional season in Winston-Salem. Nearly 30 games played for Andrew Vaughn last year with the dash. At 21 years old, how do you feel like he handled that level of competition?
1: Extremely well. And I know that, um, you know, the numbers aren't, You know, the super eye popping, impressive, like some of his college numbers, where, you know, he hit 50 home runs in three years, Golden Spikes Award, all this and that. Um, And and the numbers don't pop off the page from what he did in Winston-Salem, but his approach uh, was very impressive. I mean, he, you mentioned 21 years old, but he was just up there and, and he looks like a professional hitter. He looks like a guy who, you know, I mean, obviously if he went to the big leagues right away, he would struggle, but at the same time, you're almost like this guy just, he already looks like he's kind of beyond this level in terms of preparation. Um, you know, I know at the end, the, uh, the batting average, the OPS started to uh, slag a little bit there, but you you have to remember, he played a full college season um, and then had to go into professional baseball. So, I always kind of take those numbers with a grain of salt for the guys that have been drafted that year and, and to go through three separate levels. But um, I think by the end of his time in Winston-Salem, I mean, he had shown that, uh, you know, he was definitely ready for the challenge of double-A. Uh, it would have been interesting to see what the White Sox had done. It's, it's a little bit of a different situation now, but we had seen them previously do with Nick Madrigal. And, and then in Robert's case, they put them back in Winston-Salem Uh, to start that next season to kind of show that they could really dominate that level. Um, So I I think Vaughn, with what he was doing in spring training, was actually trending towards starting in Birmingham. Uh, But there was a possibility he was going to come back with us. And I think if he had come back to us, he would have probably dominated the Carolina League for about a month and then went up to Birmingham.
0: Yeah, I feel like what you just described kind of fits the bill of of what a lot of these – experts and scouts are saying about Vaughn and and how he projects in terms of being a professional here. And that's very encouraging to know that, you know, it's affirmed that his bat seems to be there and the approach, the professional approach is also there. And if the metal aspect is there and then it translates and you're right over a hundred games played combined uh, within his college season. So, what he was able to do last year in his first year as professionals, professional is very encouraging, especially at the plate. But how about defensively, Connor? What did you see out of Vaughn at first base?
1: I, I think he's definitely an above average first baseman. Uh, that was the first thing Nick Madrigal said when uh, the White Sox drafted him. I think he actually was in an interview to Chuck Garfine. He said, you know, he's underrated defensively. And he said the same thing to us. And, and we saw a number of, uh, you know, diving plays that he was able to make and you know, that was what people said when they draft him. Okay. Well, if he's a first baseman, the bat better be that good because he's already at first base. But I think you can't just completely do away with the fact that this guy's a really strong defensive first baseman. And I think he'd be someone who'd be ready to, uh, step up to that level. I talked about the, the polish that he had at the plate, but, uh, defensively was impressed by what I saw. And, uh, did a really good job making those scoops that he had to make, making the diving plays. So I I think he's someone that that you could just plug and play with at first base defensively.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Nick Madrigal there a couple of times. What did you see out of Nick Madrigal when you covered him?
1: With Nick, I I think, you know, initially in Winston-Salem, there was probably a thought that he could have been in Birmingham, and I I think he definitely could have. Uh, Defensively, he was really just, he was a wizard with the glove. I mean, he was so impressive. Uh, and he, he was so quick on the transition on double plays. A 6 4 3 double play with Nick Madrigal, I mean, that was just a thing of beauty uh, to watch him turn those double plays. Uh, you know, there's also a lot of times where you hear about Nick Madrigal that, okay, he doesn't have any power. Uh, and, and, you know, was he a great power hitter? No. Um, but, you know, he showed by the end of his time in Winston-Salem, he was starting to hit the ball out of the ballpark, he was hitting the ball to the gaps. Uh, he's never going to be a guy that's going to hit 20 home runs or anything like that. But if he can hit 10 to 15 with his defensive value and and with the average that he's going to hit for uh, I I think he's going to be an extremely valuable player. And the other thing is he's just a winner, Um, you know, won the college world series at Oregon state. And we saw a number of times uh, when he was in Winston Salem, if he noticed that the pitcher was getting a little bit rattled, he would actually call time and kind of, you know, go up to the pitcher and give them some encouragement. So that was a really impressive thing from him as a young player to kind of have that ability to see, okay, you know, the pitcher might be getting a little rattled here. Let, let me just give him a few words of encouragement to uh, help him along. Uh, so that leadership is something that's also impressive with Nick. So uh, really excited to see what he can do and uh, was obviously impressed by what he did in A AA and AAA and That ability to make contact is uh, really incredible. I mean, the strikeout rate, only about 3%. uh, It it was just uh, something where he's a unique player. Um, He's not someone that you see too often anymore, a little bit of a throwback, um, and uh, we really enjoyed having him.
0: I think that sort of encapsulates everything about Nick Magical when you call him unique. I don't think there's a better word to describe him as a player. You also mentioned the maturity aspect of both Vaughn and Madrigal, which is, of course, extremely encouraging, especially considering how young they are. And you also, you and I were talking before we started recording here on the podcast, and we talked about culture, and there's a conscious effort within the White Sox front office to establish some sort of atmosphere where a lot of these players gel very well. And you even mentioned even the Latin American players coming in, and of course, they're gonna to gravitate toward each other. However, they adjust to the clubhouse scene seamlessly, it seems. Can you just expound upon that?
1: Yeah, I, I think when you hear about minor leaguers, it's always just about, okay, what tools do they have? You know, what skills do they have, what, what are their numbers? But people do kind of toss that that character aspect aside and that work ethic aspect and I think it does start, you know, pretty high up in the front office. I think the White Sox do want to make sure that they get guys that have a good level of character and are able to interact with each other well. And uh, that team that we had in Winston-Salem, and, you know, there were transitions throughout the year, guys getting called up, guys getting sent down. But overall, the chemistry on that team was fantastic. And as you said, even across a language barrier, really, I mean, we had guys getting along really well. I mean, actually Luis Leto, uh, one of our relievers, I mean, he was really one of the funniest guys, uh, in that clubhouse and he didn't speak that much English. So I think that kind of tells you about the, the atmosphere that there was in the clubhouse and certainly the coaching staff as well did a fantastic job. Uh, Justin Gershley, the manager, uh, he's great, obviously, uh, going up to double a Birmingham. So, uh, all around, uh, we had a great group and, uh, we talked about Joe Weil earlier. He had told me that in his years in Winston-Salem, he'd always been impressed by the type of individuals that the White Sox were putting into their system. And uh, I came away with the same impression last year.
0: I just, I can't get over the fact, uh, you know, a healthy clubhouse in terms of chemistry does wonders. I mean, you can't quantify it in numbers, but I feel like it does influence the day-to-day aspect of your performance. So, I mean, you want to come to work every day and, and look forward to it. You know what I mean? And, have co-workers who are on the same page and you get along with. So, I mean, it's it sounds common sense, but I mean, when you think about it in a baseball aspect and a sports aspect, you're just looking at production. You're not so much concerned about chemistry and really the, the people side of things. But I feel like it's incredibly important and what you're explaining to us is, is very reassuring to know that, hey, there's a conscious effort being made here. All right, you mentioned a reliever. I want to transition to some pitchers in Winston-Salem because this is really – in my opinion, the focal point for me when it comes to following the dash and that's the arms advanced a, of course, you know, it may not seem like it, but it's such a jump from full season Canapolis. you know, right away, the type of talent, the type of hitters that you're going up against. I mean, it may seem minuscule on the surface, but once as a player, you you compare it to Canapolis to Winston Salem, there, there are some major leaps there. So I'd love to get your opinion on several of these arms that I'm about to bring up. First, starting with Cade McClure. I'm a big fan of Cade McClure. And he had he suffered that knee injury and it and it set him back. And it's unfortunate that he did because you know he was starting to get a feel of how to be a professional in his first full season. Um was able to bounce back from that injury and last year pitched, let's see, 12 starts in Winston-Salem, accumulated a 3-3-9 earned run average. Now McClure, he's got a pretty strong frame. He's, he's tall in terms of his stature, six, five, six, six, but he's not going to overpower you with his stuff. Can you just give me a scouting report on McClure and what you saw last year?
1: Yeah. As you mentioned, uh, you know, Kate is six foot six. He's got great size. Uh, his dad, as, as many people know, is a NFL quarterback. Um, and, uh, So he has that athleticism and that size, but he's not uh, the flamethrower. Sometimes you hear six foot six for a pitcher and you think, well, that guy must throw gas. Uh, That wasn't the case with Cade. Um, You know, he could occasionally dial it up to, you know, 93 or so. But, you know, he wasn't throwing 96, 97 at any time. But he located really well, um, had a really good work ethic. But I think what impressed me the most about Cade was his demeanor. Uh, He always remained very calm on the mound. Uh, There were situations where he would get into a jam and you'd see some other pitchers get rattled. Um, But he kept his cool, and and he was able to get out of a lot of tough situations uh, during his time in Winston-Salem. As you said, it was definitely unfortunate he had that knee injury in 2018. So last year, I think towards the end of the season, going through that full season, starting with Kannapolis and then coming up to Winston-Salem, it did start to – wear on him a little bit and that's the unfortunate thing about this uh coronavirus pandemic he was someone that uh i think a lot of white Sox fans were excited to see what he could do this year most likely starting the year with double a birmingham um he's a guy that uh i was really excited to see and we talked about the culture earlier he was a great person in the clubhouse uh someone that everyone really got along with well
0: yeah, it's reassuring too. I mean, I, I keep saying reassuring here on this podcast, but everything you're telling me is uh, right along with our thought process here on Future Sox and how we're kind of keeping an eye on these players. To wrap up on McClure, uh, just over 66 innings. He only struck out 49, but walked just 17. I mean, that's a sign of a pitcher who knows how to get uh, get outs with his stuff. So, you don't have to have a blazing fastball to have success as a professional, but you're right. The setback here in the pandemic, um, maybe some it, it, it plays well to some players who are rehabbing from injury, but in a case like Cade McClure, who was chomping at the bit to get going again, it uh, it kind of stinks. So let's move on to another arm. Somebody who I believe can make an impact uh, at the big league club, if not this year, maybe next year, and that's Will Kincannon. Cannon last year, a sub-2 ERA in 42 games at Winston-Salem. Connor, he had eight saves over 58 innings, struck out 71. And this is a guy who sat, you know, mid-90s with his fastball. And among us here at Future Sox, I was I was the only person to, to give him a mention in our top 30, in our individual top 30 rankings. And I did that mainly because, as a reliever, you have an opportunity to fly through the system because of the position that you play, as well as, you know the variables that come into play related to the organization at the position, but also, I mean, if you have the stuff to pitch like King Cannon does, you'll find your way at the at the game's highest level. What can you tell me about King Cannon?
1: Yeah, Mike, I think he definitely does have that stuff. I mean, last year being a Carolina League All Star, um, he started to really prove himself, and uh, as the season went on, he was put into more and more high leverage situations. Um, you mentioned the saves that he had, and uh, You'd be coming in eighth, ninth inning and and coming in and and making those uh, appearances and usually doing a nice job. Um, I think the other thing I have to bring up with Will is, you know, he's a Chicago area guy, too. Um, So it's something that's cool for him Uh, coming from Riverside. He grew up as a big White Sox fan. So um, he's really enjoyed uh, being a part of the White Sox system. And I think he has the talent, as you said, to be a fast riser, especially as a reliever. he's kind of got that bulldog mentality on the mound um, where he can, he can really dial it up. And and you said mid nineties right there, he's got some good breaking stuff as well. So uh, he started to, as the season went on, he seemed to continue to get better as well. And that's something that's always really encouraging, especially on the pitching side. And that's another guy. I mean, I think I'll just say it with everybody. It's really tough that this uh, coronavirus did hit at this time. And, uh, as tough it, as it is as a broadcaster, I mean, it, it's even tougher for these guys where their age is so important, and, and to to lose that time on their development is really tough, but, uh, you know, I'm sure him and all the other players are continuing to work hard in whatever way that they can.
0: Really appreciate the time here, Connor. A couple more for you, and we'll let you go. Lefty starters here I want to bring up. A couple of them in Connor Pilkington and Taylor Varnell. Those are two players that we were sort of keeping an eye on, considering that Pilkington and Varnell, of course, made the leap from Kannapolis. Varnell especially coming in, you know, for the first time at Winston-Salem and and doing okay. But the two of them, I feel like, can be paired together. Pilkington a little bit younger. Uh, Pilkington a fast worker. Somebody who's not going to blow you away. I know he's got that big, looping, breaking ball. I'm just curious on your evaluations of both Pilkington and Varnell – Maybe more specifically, Pilkington.
1: Yeah, with Connor, I, I think he at times was dominant. I mean, he had a start against the Down East Wood Ducks. I believe it was actually only his second start with us. Uh, Down East in the first half last year, they were one of the best teams in minor league baseball. Um, they had a fantastic lineup, and he had twelve strikeouts. Um, he 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 just absolutely controlled that lineup. He had another start against the Carolina Mudcats in June where he went five and two thirds with a no hitter. Um, So he had these flashes of brilliance. Um, So I think with him, the biggest issue last year was just consistency, because when you look at the overall numbers, obviously wasn't that impressive. It wasn't the kind of year that he wanted to. And he's got a great pedigree being a third round draft pick out of, you know, a powerhouse in Mississippi State in the SEC. He's already pitched against a lot of talented players uh, during his college career. Um, So I think he was a little disappointed with the overall results last season, but we saw those flashes of brilliance. And you mentioned him being a quick worker. Uh, That was something that always stood out uh, when Connor Pilkington was on the mound. Um, You know, his pitching style wasn't the same, but if you're a White Sox fan, you automatically think, okay, left-hander quick worker, Mark Burley, right? So uh, not the same kind of style of pitcher, um but in terms of the pace at which he went, especially when he was on, uh he seemed to even ramp it up even faster. So when he was in a groove, uh as soon as he was getting that ball back from the catcher, he was ready to go once again, and you know what I did notice is that if you know he started to have any issues with his control, all of a sudden it would slow down, so when he got in that rhythm, he was locating well, uh he would be working just about as quick as any pitchers you'd see in our league.
0: How about how about Taylor Varnell? Because, you know, I'm curious about this kid, a, a very late-round draft pick. He was at the 29th round out of Oral Roberts, and last year as a 24-year-old was able to throw over 100 innings in Kannapolis and then had a cup of coffee in Winston-Salem, made four starts, and he seemed like he was able to handle each level of competition, maybe got knocked around a little bit in Winston-Salem, but, but still was able to get outs. In, in a limited capacity can his stuff play to the next level in varnell
1: i think it can i i think with taylor um as you said it was kind of just a cup of coffee with us uh in winston salem i was expecting him to start with us again this year and uh, i was excited to see what he could do i think with with pilkington and varnell um there was a pretty high probability that they were going to both be in winston salem and i think having those two left handers in the starting rotation uh a daunting task to to face those guys in any given series. But um, as he said, he he made the adjustment uh, pretty well uh, to Winston-Salem coming up with us. Um, One thing that uh, on Taylor's side, when when he came up to high A, I I think this is something that pitchers do notice, is that strike zone does tend to get a little bit tighter as you move up uh, on the minor league ladder. Um, So the control in a couple of the starts uh, got away from a, a little bit. Um, especially that first start. And that first start, a new affiliate can be pretty tough. Um, and if you look at the numbers, he had five walks in that one. Uh, but he also had seven strikeouts, and that was against a Fayetteville team that went on to the Carolina League Championship. Or, well, they actually lost in the finals, but they were a, a really difficult lineup for any pitcher in our league to face. So it was a pretty daunting uh, first start for him. Um, but I, I think he did show the ability to, to throw strikes for the most part. Um, just occasionally got away from him a bit, but I was excited to see what he could do uh, with us probably starting the year in 2020.
0: I am really excited, as I'm sure uh, a lot of White Sox fans are, who are paying attention to Jonathan Stever. Stever took the league by storm, really, in the White Sox circle uh, with all the success he had really starting in uh, in Winston-Salem. I mean, in 69 innings... Um, or excuse me, 71 innings, struck out 77, a sub one WHIP, a, a 2.15 earned run average. A lot of these, uh, like when we talked to Keith Law and, and, and Jim Callis, a lot of these experts are talking about Stever as a legitimate player in the White Sox rotation, at, at least as a projectable piece. 22 years old last year. I mean, this is somebody that we are excited about. Are you kind of sharing the same sentiment when it comes to Stever?
1: Definitely. I, he was uh, really a joy to watch last year. Um, he picked up the nickname among his teammates, a little bit of hyperbole, obviously, but he picked up the nickname of Verlander uh, just because of how dominant he became during his time in Winston-Salem. And um, as a lot of pitchers in the White Sox system have, he, he gave some credit to uh, Matt Zaleski, who was our pitching coach. And uh, when Stever got there, one thing that he told him was, you know, elevate that fastball. Um, That's something that you're seeing across uh, the big leagues and the minor leagues is, you know, of course for so many years we're saying, okay, let's locate the ball down in the zone. But now they're saying that fastball up in the zone is actually a little bit more difficult for hitters. And uh, he could really dial it up uh, in terms of that fastball. And also in the sense of him being projected as a starter, one thing that was really encouraging is that he could still hit that velocity of of 96, 97 going into the sixth, seventh inning. Uh, So toward the end of his starts, um, you know, I had seen some other projections that said he's somebody who's eventually a bullpen arm. I think baseball America actually said he's the projected closer for the White Sox in 2021. Um, And and obviously that's a decision that goes way beyond me, but I think he's very projectable as a starter um, because he can carry himself well deep into ball games. He throws strikes, and he also has a really repeatable delivery as well. So I, I think he's a really exciting prospect. And I was so excited to see what he was going to do in Birmingham to start this season. The Southern League is a league where pitchers tend to have a lot of success, and I think he would have been another one that that could have been able to do that. Um, he had so many starts with us that was ju- that were just. Uh, really a joy to watch, uh, dominant stuff from him. And, and another guy that in the clubhouse, great work ethic, got along with his teammates extremely well. Uh, and then, uh, you know, more on the talent side, fantastic athlete. He was actually the, uh, state football player of the year in Wisconsin, his senior year of high school. Um, so he, you know, he just feels like one of those guys that, uh, was a difference maker and, and has that chance to, uh, sneak his way into the, the White Sox eventual starting rotation.
0: Connor Klingon, voice of the Winston-Salem Dash, the advanced day affiliate of the Chicago White Sox in the Carolina League. Connor, really awesome stuff. So much insight, so much valuable insight. Really appreciate you taking the time. I'm going to leave you uh, with this final question. And you mentioned Justin Jerschley as well as Matt Zaleski. Jerschley moves on to AA Birmingham. Matt Zaleski is the pitching coach now in Triple A. However, you were able to watch them work and you were able to work with them on a day-to-day basis last year in Winston-Salem. On a professional level, when you were able to talk to Zaleski and Jershley, getting information for the media relations department, what was it like speaking to those baseball minds and what did you learn uh, watching them go to work each day?
1: I think for both of them, um, they're great teachers. Um, uh, especially uh, with Matt Selesky, as, as I mentioned, he, he does a really nice job of letting pitchers know, okay, here's what you're doing well. Um, here's what you might need to change up. And, and sometimes pitchers, when you get the professional level, I mean, I think anyone who's a professional athlete, you have that little bit of, um, you know, somewhat of an ego about your own stuff or the way that you uh, do things. But uh, what he did is, is he made things really digestible for them. And, and I think the players really enjoyed uh, working with him. And I, we've seen time and time again, I, I mean, Dylan Cease in 2018, he gave a lot of credit to uh, Z as well for his improvement that he had in Winston-Salem, uh, you know, leading him all the way, you know, in 2019, making his big league debut with the White Sox um, with Justin Gershley. I, I mean, he was uh, fantastic to work with and, um, And and it gets talked about so much his age, um, you know, he tries to, you know, kind of put that aside because obviously he, he's just someone that wants to show up and wants to get to work. Um, but in some ways it does give him an advantage because he's able to build these relationships really well with the players being a little bit closer to them in age. Um, but he, he's a guy that, uh, you know, gets along with the players really well, um, he knows when there are those times where, where you can be a little bit more loose and the team can have fun. But when it's time to get down to business, uh, he's ready to get down to business. And, and he's certainly, uh, you know, very serious about uh, making sure that the team's extremely prepared and, and ready to go. Um, you know, he he's one of those guys, it's kind of a sports cliche, but, you know, first one to get in and last one to leave. Um, that was kind of the way that Jersh was because, you know, he, he took his preparation for – for every game very seriously. And, uh, I know it's talked about as well with, uh, his dad, uh, being the third base coach for the Royals. Um, he definitely used his dad as someone, um, that he could talk to and, and get advice from, but, uh, you know, I, I, was definitely lucky to work with him last season. Um, he, he's, uh, a great guy. Um, he actually just had his, uh, his daughter, uh, with his wife, Liz. Um, so congratulations to him for that. But, uh, Really enjoyed working with him and uh, our entire staff, our hitting coach, Jamie Dismuke as well. Uh, just a great group. And it goes along with the players as well. I mentioned earlier the White Sox try to get high character individuals. They definitely do that with the coaching staff too because um, they just every – every day you could see uh, the relationships that they were building with the players, the respect that they had from the players um, – And also just that that work ethic and showing up early, leaving late. Um, Just a fantastic staff to work with.
0: Outstanding stuff, Connor. Thanks so much for taking the time. We we are rooting for you because obviously your entire focus is on the Winston-Salem Dash. And right now there's no minor league baseball going on. So hopefully, hopefully, hopefully at some point this season they can figure something out. Of course, the main priority is the health and safety of everybody involved. But we can't help. But continue to root for baseball to make a comeback. You know, talking to you about the Winston Salem Dash, I can't help but get worked up. I, I'm so, I was so looking forward to the 2020 season. I'm as I'm sure you were on, on a much higher level, considering this is your first full professional season as the lead guy with the Winston Salem Dash. But hey. It'll we'll, we'll all get better and uh, we'll we'll get there. But Connor, thanks so much, man.
1: Well, thank you, Mike. Really appreciate you having me on. And uh, you know, I said it before we came on the air. Really enjoy the work that you guys do at Future Socks, and appreciate you guys covering the White Sox system as well as you do.
0: Well, thank you, Connor. We really appreciate that that feedback, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best, health and safety to you, my friend. Thanks, Mike. Same to you. For Connor Klingon, my name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for. Tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes as well as listen to us on Spotify. Check us out on acre.fm backslash Future Socks to explore our library. Go to futuresocks.com to check out what we have in store. A lot of interesting topics and written articles that we have posted on our site recently. So check us out one more time for Connor Klingon. You can follow him at CKlingon14 on Twitter. Fantastic conversation about the Winston-Salem Dash. We will all talk to you next time.